What did you want to be when you were a kid? You said, I want to be this when I grow up. What was it? Anybody? What did you want to be when you grew up? You wanted to be a musician? Ah, that worked out well for you. All right. Good deal, Sarah. Anybody else? What did you want to be when you grew up? A teacher? Worked out well for you. Anybody else? We got we got some overachievers here fulfilling their dreams. Anybody else? A ninja turtle. A ninja turtle? That's okay. I wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy football player. Look at me now. I look like one. Well, not really. Um, <laughs> I weigh like one, <laughs> but I don't look like one. Um, anybody else? What did you want to be when you grew up? A jockey, like riding horses? Yeah, racing. That's cool. That's cool. All right. You know, it's funny that what we want to be when we're like three, you know, third grade or fourth grade is probably not the same thing that we want to be when we hit junior high. And it's probably not what we want to be, unless you're Sarah and you want to always be a musician, and here she is just blowing up my illustration. Um, or when you're in high school, it's usually not exactly the same. And dare you go to college and start some sort of degree track, and while you're at college, it probably changes three or four or five or six times. This idea of who do I want to be. And it's a question that we wrestle with, not just who I want to be, but, but who am I? Who am I? It's a, it's a question we wrestle with as little kids. And we ask it multiple times throughout our lives. Who am I? In junior high and high school, we bump into each other and we try out different cliques and different groups of people and we do all this stuff trying to figure out who am I? And it doesn't stop. In college, we usually have a crisis of belief. And when we get our 40s or 50s, we have that midlife crisis and we buy little red sport cars or, or big trucks or, or something along those lines. You know, that, that who am I? Am I, what, what, what's going to make me happy? Will this make me happy? And it doesn't stop. We go on. The good thing is, is if you have a question about who you are today, you can always go on Facebook and find out. You know? If you go on Facebook for any length of time, you'll find multiple quizzes that you can take that will help you to discover which dog you are, you know, or which tree you most resemble, or which character from Lord of the Rings you identify with, or which president. When I took the president quiz, I was so crossing my fingers that I was Abraham Lincoln, and it wasn't. I, I won't say, okay, I'll just tell you who I was. I was George W. Bush, so I was W. That's who I ended up being, of all the people, right? It's that Texas pride right there. And uh, it's, 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 you can find out which Disney character you are. I mean, there's lots of quizzes, and the reason there's all these quizzes is because there's this... This intrinsic thing that we have inside of us and asking who am I? Who am I? What's my personality? What, what makes me up? When I was in college, I took a a class. In a part of the class, we had to take the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. Anybody has taken that? It came with a book called Please Understand Me, which is a great book, by the way, and it pairs together. I don't, yeah. And I remember reading that for any of you Myers Briggers out there. Um, I am a, I am a, in college, I was a ENFP. And then after I was in youth ministry a few years, I became an INFP, which introvert, extrovert, they're right there. You know, I was, I, I kind of flip flop back and forth, I guess, between introvertedness and extrovertedness. Um, but I'm intuitive. I'm a feeler. You know, I, I feel, th- it's feeler thinker, the two diff- difference. And then the last one is, um, uh, 
J, judging or perceiving, I believe is the last. But, but that's me. I'm a E or INFP is my personality. And, and when I discovered that, it really kind of helped me figure out a little bit about who I am. And, and so as I became a youth pastor, I decided that, that I, I would, um, I took my students when I was actually in Phoenix. And I have a good friend here who was my executive pastor, Jan. Um, and at North Hills Church, and I took our kids to a um, to a to a leadership conference in in, in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. And uh, part of that leadership conference is they were taking this Myers Briggs personality test. And uh, it's really interesting what happens when people take something this in depth and they begin to kind of peel back the pages or the onion, you know, skins, and they start to discover who they are as a person. And I remember we took the test. And then we, we, we broke up in our little small group and we were talking about what does that mean? What does that look like in our everyday lives if you're this person or this person? And how does that come out? And I remember in that conversation, one of my very stoic, thoughtful, quiet girls in my youth ministry just started crying. Now I'm not talking about like little leaking out the side tears. I'm talking like, you know, alligator, puppy dog tears. I mean, just going, just almost wailing, not wailing, but just sobbing with tears. And, and we just, it got a little uncomfortable as people were kind of watching this. And I just said, Brianna, what is this about? What is going on with you? And she just said, Jared, this, I guess I just discovered tonight that I'm not weird. Well, I mean, we're all a little weird, right? But 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 she has this she had this personality that you know that she had to always have her homework done at five o'clock and you know and she wouldn't do anything else until this and she was very structured and she was very organized and she was very introverted and she processed things processed things internally and when all of her high school friends were like doing all this crazy stuff and living out their type lives that just wasn't her and she always thought Jared I just thought I was always weird and strange, and now I know that, you know what, this is just how God made me, and more importantly, it's it's okay. It's just me. It's who I am. Here's the deal that Brianna was struggling with that I, that I think we all struggle with, is that we all have this identity crisis. Every single one of us, if we're being honest, at different times in our lives, we ask ourselves this question of who am I? But the problem is, is that there's all kinds of voices out there who are trying to tell you who you're supposed to be. So we wrestle with this internal thought, and then we have these external voices trying to tell us who we're supposed to be, and it creates a lot of tension and problems in our lives. The voice of the present that's our culture. I mean, if you st- if you listen and, and just look around you, our culture is trying to tell you and force you into becoming a certain type of person. It just is. I mean, there are magazine covers that say, hey, if you don't look like this, if you don't dress like this, if you don't act this way, then there's basically something wrong with you. Here's the thing, is that those ladies on those magazine covers, they don't look like that either. There are things called airbrush and Photoshop that that changes their figure to look that way. But there's this pressure that women have, and it's just not women, that men have that say, this is what... This is what you ought to be, and if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. It's the voice of our culture. Our students deal with it every day on a level of intensity that we don't deal with as, as, as adults. 
Junior highs and high schools and elementary schools are full of voices of our culture telling our kids, this is what's cool, this is what's not, you listen to this type of music, you do this type of thing. And the problem is that a lot of these things that they're trying to force our kids into are nothing like what God wants them to be and who they actually are created to be. Haley and I fell into this trap a couple months ago. Anybody watch the show Fixer Upper? Anybody? Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know, and they take these small, you know, or not always small, but these houses and, you know, in the Waco area, and they, they, they purchase a house for a family, and then they go in and give this outrageous budget, and then they fix it up. And we went on a Fixer Upper binge for about two weeks where we probably watched 20 episodes. I'm not, I'm kind of ashamed to say it, but, but we got bent into this fixer upper thing where we literally started looking around our house and saying, okay, which wall are we supposed to knock out? Because in every episode of Fixer Upper, they knock out a wall to create more space. And we were looking at our walls, and we're like, well, that wall goes into our bathroom, so that wall's out. That wall, I mean, that's where our kitchen, uh, that can't go out. So we were kind of stuck. But not only were we looking at walls, but we were trying to just... I'm going to tell on you a little bit. But Haley, Haley, at one point, when we were watching Fixer Upper, she, she said, Jared, do you think that there's shiplap behind this on this wall here? I think she was joking. I know she was joking. But in every episode of Fixer Upper, they peel back, you know, the, 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 whatever, the board on the wall, and they find shiplap. The drywall, and they find shiplap. And shiplap every house. I mean, there's shiplap everywhere. We were like, which wall in our house do we want to have shiplap in? I mean, cause shiplap is cool. That was that cultural voice forcing its way into our lives, trying to say, okay, which wall are we going to tear down and where are we going to put our shiplap? Because that's what's cool in houses today by the standard of Chip and Joanna Gaines, who we all want to be like anyways because they're really cool people, right? It's the voices of the present. It is. It's the radio. It's the TV. It's the, it's the neighbors. It's the magazines. It's the Facebook. All saying this is who you're supposed to be. And if you're not, then there's something wrong with you. And they say things like, you know, you're too fat. You're too ugly. You're not skinny enough. You're a loser. You're, you're a liar. You're dot, dot, dot. Um, you, you, don't, you don't measure up. There's something wrong with you. It's a voice of our present. There's also a voice of our past. And this one's much, much harder to deal with. The voice of our past comes from our parents or grandparents or teachers or people in our lives who say things like... Um, or bitter relatives say things like, you know, you're, you're not good enough. Why aren't you more like your sister? Why aren't you more like your brother? Why didn't you do better in school? You're just a loser. And it's those voices of our past that seep into our identity and who we are. It's the rejection letters from colleges or from for or firings that happen at jobs and and they latch their claws into us and they don't let go. They say you're never going to amount to anything. You're a loser. No one's ever going to love you. Or no no one will ever love you again and they echo in our heads. Zach Ebrium walked out onto the red circle of the TED Talk stage. Anybody ever heard of TED Talks before? TED Talks are like eight to ten minute talks that you can see on the internet. And they, 
lots of people from lots of different backgrounds give these talks about lots of different things in life, and they're just fascinating, great, great. Millions of people watch them, right? And Zach came out on this TED Talk, and uh, he began telling the story of El Said Nasser. Um, you may recognize the name. In one of his most infamous video, Osama bin Laden said, everybody in America will one day know the name El Said Nasser. Um, in a calm, steady voice, Zach began to talk about how on November 5th, 1990, Nosser walked into the ballroom of a hotel in Manhattan and he shot and killed Rabbi Mir Kane. Um, Rabbi Kane was a leader of the Jewish Defense League and he had just urged American Jews to return back to Israel while they had an opportunity and to live there once again before it was too late. Originally, El Sayyid Nusser was acquitted of the crime, but he was later put in prison on, on gun charges. Uh, and he was given the maximum of 20 years in prison. And while he was there, he, along with a group of other people, began to plan attacks while he was in prison um, on different landmarks in New York. And so they had planned, you know, on attacks on tunnels and synagogues and the United Nations headquarters. And, and an FBI informant was able to infiltrate, you know, that group of men and foiled some of those plans and, and actually stopped the bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993, if some of you remember that. That was El um, Saeed Nosser that was behind that, that plot to bomb the World Trade Center. The story I was reading said that the TED audience was very respectful and polite as they listened to Zach telling this story about Nosser's life and, and the story that happened. He said, but the mood in the room changed. Um, and it turned on a dime. The energy changed immediately when Zach said, El Saeed Nosser is my father. He was only seven years old when the bombing happened in 1993. And his father was grooming him to be a terrorist himself. Think about the voices going on in this kid's head throughout junior high and through high school and even as an adult as he remembers who his dad was grooming to be and who that voice, that negative, that hate that was being poured into his life and, and that voice of the past that was trying to sink its claws into who he was as a person. Thankfully, he was able to leave that voice and find a different voice. The voice of the past, the voice of the present, the voice of our culture. But there's another voice. What if we began to listen to a different voice? The voice of God. His voice. And that's what we're talking about in this series on Believe. Where this week we're talking about our identity in Christ. Who are you? In Jesus, in Christ. And I just have a few thoughts for you. I discovered in the first service, and I'm not going to be able to do my whole message, so we're cutting it in half. I have way too much stuff to talk about. So we'll do the first step. For those of you that thought we'd be here till 2 in the afternoon, um, we're actually going to not be. Um, but there's just a few thoughts I have for you. If you want to take out your notes, just write these things down. Who are you? What's your identity in Christ? Who am I? Can I just, this first thing, is that you're God's child. You are God's child. 1 John 3.1 says it, says it this way. 
He says, the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, say it with me, children of God. I love that word. That word lavished. When you lavish somebody, it's just not a little bit. It is over the top, above and beyond all expectations. And he says, God poured his love to us in such a way. You know what this lavish love looks like? He says, you're just not one of my servants. You're just not one of the people that worship me. You're just not a, 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 you know, a really good friend, but you are my child. I thought about this 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 message today. It, it actually needs to be a series because I could probably preach three or four messages on this truth alone, on what it means that you are a child of God. I never understood the love of the Father until I became a father. It just it doesn't make sense. I've preached on God's love hundreds and 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 I've talked about it to teenagers on Wednesday nights and messages. Hundreds and hundreds of times. But I didn't really get a glimpse of what it means to be a dad loving a kid until I had my own son. And that kid didn't do anything for me except scream in my ear and pee on my hands when he came into this world. But it was the most beautiful pee that I've ever experienced. As I held this kid who really has nothing to offer me other than a few smiles and coos. And there's a depth of love that I have for him that makes no sense. And here's the thing, is that I love him now, more now than I did the day he was born. And I'm sure I'll love him more tomorrow and the next day as we experience life together. And the scripture says that that this love that I have for my son pales in comparison to this love that the Heavenly Father has for you as He calls you a child of God. You are a kid of the King. So what does that mean? Not only are you God's child, but you're an heir. I've never been an heir before. I haven't inherited anything cool from anyone that's passed away in my family or anything. I... um, I listen to Dave Ramsey all too often, and every once in a while, you know, somebody will call on and they'll say, "Hey, Dave, I, uh, you know, an aunt passed away, or my grandfather passed away a couple of weeks ago, and he left me two point one million dollars. I'm really not sure what I should do with it. Do you have any suggestions?" And I think, man, I feel really bad for that guy, but but that's kind of cool to have someone just hand you a check for $2.1 million and say, do with it as you will. I, that's not waiting for me when my family passes away, you know. I'm not going to be an heir to any really cool cars or extravagant houses or land. or That's just not happening in my family. But I am heir to something greater, something better. Something that lasts forever. Romans 8.17 says, Now, if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What do we inherit? What do we have waiting for us? What will we have eternity? We have eternity in the presence of God waiting for us one day. We inherit that. We Not only do we inherit that then, but we also inherit 
and are heirs to God's presence and God's provision here in our lives now. Jesus told the disciples, you know, if any of you are good, a parent, you know how to give gifts, how much, how much more do our Heavenly Father, does He know how to give good gifts to those who ask? He's saying, I just dare you. I just dare you to ask your Heavenly Father anything, and it will be given to mind. That's a Jared paraphrase, right? But we're heirs. We're heirs to God's blessing here on this earth. His presence in our lives, in my life. That's pretty cool. Not only are you an heir, but you're a temple. As I was writing this down this week, I thought, I'm a temple. Yeah, I'm a temple of doom. <laughs> you know, the, 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 um, the Indiana Jones movie, Temple of Doom. I said, yeah, that, that's me. I'm a temple of doom. But, but the scripture says, what are you a temple of? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? You are a temple of God. Think about how cool that is. That God, when you became a follower of Jesus, that God put His very presence in your life. His Spirit now dwells within you when you became a follower of His. God thought so much of you that he entrusted himself in your life. And we spend a lifetime trying to discover what that means. To have God's presence in us. His power within us. That we have access. I spoke about this two weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit. That with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that we have access to God's power. We have access to His wisdom. We have access to His peace. We have access to His gifts. All because of Him placing who He is inside of us. That is who you are. You're a temple. You're a temple of God. Not only are that, but you're a, you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of this mind. This idea of a new creation, this idea of transformation, it's that, that word transformation, it's the Greek word metamorpho, I think is how you say it. And, and, and it's where we get our word metamorphosis here today. And, and so if you can picture that metamorphous process of a caterpillar going into a cocoon and, and breaking forth and becoming a butterfly, that, that new creation is not the old any longer. It doesn't crawl along leaves and branches and eat that stuff, but it flies and it, and, and it, it does something completely different. It is new. And God says that is what happens inside of you. You become a new creation when you become a follower of Jesus, and it is instantaneous. Now here's the thing, is that even though that change happens like this, and we're a new creation, there's a process of God's Spirit and us yielding to His Spirit that sometimes takes a lifetime to figure out. That we're changed, but then His Spirit, we have to yield to it, and we become more and more like Him. We have to convince our own minds and our own bodies of this transformation that's taking place inside of us. You are a new creation. Here's the last thought. Is that you're a citizen of heaven. You know, I used to be a Texan. And then I lived in Missouri for two years and lived in Oklahoma for seven and 
I've now lived in Arizona for, I guess, about five or six when you put them all together. So I guess I'm a Mo Okla, Arizona, Tex, and something along if you mash them all together. But above all, I'm none of those things. It's not what my driver's license says that, that I'm a citizen of. The truth is I'm a citizen of heaven. And if you're a follower of Jesus, so are you. Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is that we're just strangers to this world. We're visitors. We're temporary owners of whatever we have. But one day we'll be in our real home, where we really belong beside the Father. Who are you? Some of us have been labeled lots of names throughout our lives. And some of them are not flattering. And some of them have taken root in our hearts and we believe the lie and that they've become a part of our identity. But that's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're an heir to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're a temple of His Spirit dwelling within you. You're a new creation. That old is gone. The new has come. You are a citizen of heaven. And you have eternity waiting for you. This week I found this. I heard this song. We're going to watch a music video. And in your chairs I put just a little name tag. And I want you to think about some of those old labels that you used to carry around. Maybe it's time for you to have a new name. And as this song is played, just ask God, God, what is, what is this name that you want me to carry? What is this description? What is this identity you want me to be? And uh, at the end of the song, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this in prayer. Will you play this song for us?
your name? What reminder do you need this week of who God's calling you to be? You know, we have lots of voices that have been telling us lots of things over the years, but maybe there's a new voice that you need to listen to that says, you know what, you're not defeated, you're not lost, you're not a loser, you're not ugly, you're not this, you're not that, but you're a child of God. You're redeemed, you're set free, you're holy, you're blameless, you are loved. All I want you to do, just as a time of response, as Sarah and the worship team comes up, is I want you to take that, 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 that name card, and I want you to write a word down that you need to hold on to this week and be reminded of. And if you don't want to place it on you as a sticker, maybe you can put it on the dash of your car or next to your speedometer or on your window, um, your mirror in your bathroom. Put it in a place where you'll see throughout the week and just be reminded that this is who you are in Jesus' name. You're his kid. You're his heir. You are forgiven. You're a child of God.